This is Chris Brooks. Thank you for listening to this edition of Equip. Be sure and subscribe for free so that you don't miss an episode. For more information, visit our website, equipradio.org. Well, hey there, friends. Welcome to another exciting edition of Equip with Chris Brooks. I am so thrilled that you've joined us today. Can you do me a favor? Strap on your seatbelt. We're going to navigate through the contours of culture, as always, with the lens of the biblical worldview on. But before we do that, let me remind you, this is the day that the Lord has made. He has given it as a gift so that you and I can rejoice and be glad in it. So let's do just that. Let's follow the words of the Apostle Paul. Let's rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Well, I hope you are registered for our upcoming Zoom webinar. It is all going down in just a couple of days. And uh, man, we would love to have you there. If you are a monthly partner, these Zoom webinars are complimentary to you. They're free to you uh, to be a part of. And this particular topic is so important. It's one of the big ones that the church has to deal with in our day and age, and that is recovering from church hurt, recovering from church hurt. There are so many uh, that are listening to me right now, maybe your friends, your family members, and your loved ones who have experienced pain, uh, mistreatment, and some even abuse at the hands of church leaders or brothers and sisters in Christ. How do you recover from that? How do you recover your faith? your trust in God, your commitment to the covenant community of believers. We're going to talk about that and how you also sojourn with someone, walk with someone who has experienced church hurt so God can use you to help them to be restored back into community, which is so important for our spiritual health and vitality. So all of that is coming up in just a couple of days. I want you to register if you've not done so already and you are a monthly partner, all you have to do is go to your email, type in Equipper Encouragement in the search bar, and our emails will come up to you for you and, and embedded in the emails, the Equipper Encouragement emails of, of recent is registration details. So please make sure you click on that. It's easy, it's convenient, and we love for you to be there. But also, if you're not a monthly partner and you say, I need to be there, Maybe you have had fractured faith, as Lena Abujamra has talked about, because of your own church hurt and abuse. Or maybe, again, you know someone who has. Or maybe you're a counselor. We would love to have some of our counseling friends there as a part of this Zoom webinar. It's easy to find out more about how to become a part of the Equipper community. Go, uh, go to our website, equipradio.org, or call 888 644 4144. That's 888-644-4144. One of the significant areas of woundedness within the church today centers around uh, race, our conversations about race, and uh, the racial uh, animus that is a part of our broader culture that sadly creeps into uh, the Christian community, the household of faith, all too often, in spite of the the work of the cross that has torn down the walls of hostility that exists between uh, various ethnic groups, we still see a persistent challenge in this area. And I thought it'd be important to talk about it. Now, I know that for some of you, talking about race can feel exhausting 
And maybe you say, man, I just have gotten to the point where I don't know if any new ground can be covered. Well, let me just tell you, I have a resource that I believe introduces a new way to think about this that is enormously helpful. Uh, My guest today believes that the church needs to move beyond uh, colorblindness or anti-racism if we have any hopes of being able to see true racial unity, reconciliation, and a vision of the kingdom on earth. My guest today is George Yancey. He is a professor at the Institute for Studies of Religion at Baylor University. He specializes in race, ethnicity, and religion. He also works to promote collaborative communication as a solution to racial unrest. He's written voluminously on this topic, but the book I want to focus in on today is simply entitled Beyond Racial Division. It's a unifying alternative to colorblindness and anti-racism. George Yancey joins me now. Hey, Dr. Yancey, how are you, brother? Pretty good. How are you doing, Chris? I am doing really, really well. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for the work you're doing over at Baylor. For those who may not be familiar with your work, talk about your uh, role over at Baylor and what your focus is there. Well, I work with the Institute for Religious Studies, and my research has been focused in on both religion and race. Uh, my, the book you're talking about came partial, partially out of my work on race, but also out of my own personal convictions as a Christian, trying to find a better way than what we have been doing as a society to uh, deal with the racial conflicts that we have. We're going to talk about what's not working. We're going to give a framework for what, uh, what could work and the theological basis for that. But let's just get personal for just a moment. Uh, why write this book, uh, in, in particular, as you described, as more than just scientific research? Why write such a vulnerable, intimate, and personal book? Well, you know, <laughs> I live in this society, too, and... <clears throat> And I'm very concerned about uh, what's happening in our society as far as racial issues and the division that just seems to exacerbate itself. Now, for me personally, you know, I'm an older guy, and, you know, I'm in a pretty good position economically and such, and so the conflict doesn't have to really touch me that that hard, even though I'm an African-American. But I'm raising three young boys. And so for no other reason than that, you know, if that was the only reason – it would be worth me doing what I can to change the racial dialogue we have in our society so that they can grow up in a world where we don't the same battles over and over again and that where we can have community instead of polarization. So I think about my boys. I think about some of the other kids I know. And like I said, you know, I'm an older guy, and so it may not impact me that much, but for the sake of our younger generations, we've got to start getting this right. Yeah, I love that. And uh, you point that out. You uh, have a section of your introduction, who this book is written for. If you had to summarize it, who would you say? Well, of course, every author wants to say for everybody. But, Seven billion uh, people say, on the planet. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, Everyone buys one of those books. Uh, you know, I'm going and, and talk with Elon Musk. Uh, That's right. I I really think this book is for people who are dissatisfied with how our race relations is working out. And what I mean by that is everyone, I don't think anyone's really happy the way we're treating each other. But some have, you know, have 
latched on to one of the two positions I know we'll talk about. And so they're not really looking for an alternative. But I think most people in the country know that these positions don't work. And so they're looking for something that works. And they're looking for something that will really bring us together rather than just fighting more and more. So if you're tired of fighting about race and you want to find, hey, can we move towards solutions, this is the book for you. And that's the sort of people that I think would be most interested in this book. Yeah, you said this is the group that wants to address unfair racial outcomes in our society and, uh, and, and doesn't want to ignore those realities, but have seen the shortcomings of colorblind ideology and anti-racism methodology. And uh, you go into that, and uh, I'm grateful that you've presented this third way, some fresh thinking on the topic that, quite honestly, Dr. Yancey, you know many people are exhausted with. So what do you say to the people who are listening to this conversation and say, not another conversation on race. I am just worn out with these discussions. What do you say to them? You know, I get it. I get it because it sounds like every conversation sounds like, like the last one, where we talk past each other and sometimes yell at each other and insult one another, or at least not listen to one another. I'm asking for a different type of conversation. Uh, a different type of conversation that, that will be more productive, where we hear each other out and try to find solutions that build on each other. So, you know, the people who want this kind of conversation, we need to bring us together to demonstrate how we can actually solve some of our problems and not just go back to the same thing we've been doing. So I understand why people are tired of just more talk. But what we've not had is productive conversations, and that's what I am calling for. Now, you know, obviously I'm a pastor, and so I'm thinking first and foremost the role, the role of the church. But I, but your, your writing, I believe, is hopeful for life beyond just the church, the broader community, the impact for the broader community. But let's just talk specifically about the role the church can play in this discussion. What are your thoughts there, Dr. Yancey? Well, I think that the church can play a very valuable role and should be playing a role. I think that we actually have the answers. We just don't live, live them out. And, you know, part of my other work is on how we've become a, become a post-Christian society. And in a post-Christian society, solving problems that are not easily solved in the rest of society is going to be very critical for us to maintain our witness. We're not going to maintain our witness by having just people just come to church justifying God. Unfortunately, that's the case. But if we show the rest of the world a better way for dealing with racial issues, that will be a very powerful witness to God's power, and that will be, help us to really make connections in this post-Christian world. So I think that we have an important role to play, and it's to our advantage if we play that role. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, I want to dive into the shortcomings of our current models. I think what Dr. Yancey presents to all of us is a vision, a hopeful vision of moving beyond racial alienation towards a lifestyle of collaborative conversation and mutuality. And if that's what you're hoping for, I I know certainly I am deeply desirous of that, then George Yancey uh, presents us with Uh, a great alternative to colorblindness, this thought that nothing is affected by race, that race is just a figment of our imagination, and if we just stop talking about it, it'll go away, and anti-racism, which assumes everything's affected by race, 
and it's a uh, unsolvable conundrum for our country. We're going to dig underneath this and actually look at it through a lens of mutual accountability and biblical theology. Don't go anywhere. Much more to come next up on Equip. Friends, I want to invite you to our next Equip Resume webinar coming up this Thursday, November 16th, right after the program. You know, many of us have faced pain and disappointment from other Christians and even church leaders. It's a unique problem that requires spiritual wisdom to remedy. That's why this webinar will focus on recovering from church hurt. We'll discuss how to restore our hearts and how to reconnect with a loving body of believers. Equippers, look for an email with registration details for this free interactive webinar. Not an equipper, become a monthly partner by calling 888-644-4144 or online at equipradio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. So grateful to be joined by Dr. George Yancey. You know, George Yancey is a psychologist, but what he offers is an approach to race relations where all parties contribute and are mutually accountable to one another for societal well-being. And this is, I believe, a biblical vision that leads to the flourishing of our community. Beyond Racial Division is a great book. I highly recommend it. Find out more on our website, equipradio.org. That's equippedradio.org. And, um, I know, Dr. Yancey, we're, we're both hopeful that 7 billion people will buy it, but it all starts with the next one. So uh, I want to encourage you, uh, if you are a leader in your church, if this is a topic that is important to you, maybe even you're a student uh, right now in the program working towards this, we have to be able to come up with a different framing than what uh, we've been given because what we've had has simply not worked. Let's talk about why we need a new path. You start your book that way. Discuss for us, why is it that we need a new path, Dr. Yancey? Well, frankly, because the old paths have not been working, and we've been trying the old paths. And I guess we can go ahead and get into it. You know, the the, the two paths that I talk about is either to go into uh, what I would call colorblindness, which is to ignore race, or to go with people have called anti-racism, which is, for lack of a better term, just an aggressive pursuit of racial justice. And neither one of those paths have worked. We, we argue with each other, we have another racial controversy, and it just goes on and on. And so we need to, we, we need to break out this logjam, if you will. It's sort of like what Einstein says, that, you know, uh, that not, not mental illness, <laughs> Uh, insanity, yeah. Insanity is the same thing over and over again, expect a different result. And so we, you know, unless you think what we're doing is working, we gotta have a different result. And so we gotta go a, a different way. Yeah, I, I love that because um, I think that in in a lot of ways, Dr. Yancey, uh, for for many people, there's been a, a feeling that, well, there are only two camps on this issue, and I have to fall into one or the other. And I just believe that it is possible for us to acknowledge, no, there are some major significant issues that um, are a reflect of the fall, that sin has impacted concerning the way that we have racialized society, dehumanized one another, and that this goes beyond just individual interpersonal relationships. 
And in many ways, this has affected institutions. It's been codified into laws and activities, um, but yet not given to nihilism or despair, i.e. a Ta-Nehisi Coates approach, um, but not given to this kind of colorblindness that somehow race does not exist. So let's just talk about the deficiencies of both of these schools of thought before we get into mutual accountability. First, let's talk about colorblindness. What, what's wrong with saying, hey, if we just don't talk about race anymore, everything will be fine, that this isn't a skin problem, this is just a sin problem, and we need to stop paying so much attention to it? Yeah, and I understand that desire. And in one sense, it would be true if we didn't have the history that we had. I mean, there are things we could just ignore, and, and that's all well and good. The problem is we have had our history, and we do have current problems. And so the question you have to ask colorblindness, which is ignore race, is uh, if we ignore race, are we ignoring a wound? Because if we're ignoring a wound, ignoring it won't make it go away. It'll just get worse. Mm. And the research shows that it is a wound. And there's a lot of research out there that shows that even today, racial identity matters in impacting the lives of especially people of color. And we know that it was matter historically. There's a reason why there's a black and a Hispanic area of town and, and that they uh, tend to be lower valued and suffer uh, from crime and from other problems. The reason why that, that is that. Uh, there's, but there's also research that shows, for example, uh, one study, uh, which is what we call a meta-analysis, which is the you know, the guy in a lot of different research shows that if you're an African-American or a Hispanic-American and you apply for a job, all other things being equal, you're less likely to be called back for an interview. So yeah. simply because you're African-American or Hispanic-American, you face this type of occupational racism. Now, there's, all, uh, there's a lot of other research, and I don't want to, you know, spend the whole time talking about it. Uh, needless to say, what people call institutional racism structural racism, it exists. It may not be as, as broad as some people claim it is, but it definitely exists. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at a study right now as we, as we talk, and I know you don't want to dive too deep into it, though I'm, I'm absolutely sure you could, but this was uh, published in uh, Northwestern University. It's, uh, it's, it's journal on, um, on uh, uh, employment uh, matters. And uh, this is January 31st where this was uh, published. It was co-authored by two uh, doctoral students in the sociology program. And, uh, and what they discovered is that for Africans, blacks, Middle Easterns, North Africans, uh, Latinos, Hispanics, and Asians, those who bear those names on applications or resumes were 31% less likely to be called in for an interview, even the initial interview for a job. And this is decades after uh, our country made uh, hiring discrimination illegal. So these things seem to be very persistent, Dr. Yancey. Yeah, and, you know, the thing I just described to you, that's what, how people usually measure or assess whether or not uh, the willingness of someone to hire an African-American or Hispanic American. They look at names because when you turn in the resume, there's usually not a picture of it, but your name is there. 
Uh, and so that's – but if you think about it, just just your name puts you at a disadvantage if you're a black or Hispanic, unless you change your name, of course. Uh, but uh, but just your name does that. So much, less, much more if you show up and you're a black and Hispanic who can actually see you. We don't even know what that would do to your propensity to be hired. And that's just one, one yeah. group of studies in one area. We're not even talking about health care or criminal justice yes. or economics or any of these other uh, issues. And there's other issues on how your race impacts how, how fair society is going to treat you. So, okay, so for those who would argue, you know, the Bible doesn't give us a construct of race, though ethnicity is, is uh, clearly apparent there. So, therefore, we shouldn't talk about race. We should see everyone as simply a part of the human race. What I hear you saying is that while you sympathize with that, and you certainly <clears throat> would agree with that, uh, apart from the realities of the fact that there is a history and, unfortunately, a deep woundedness in this area that seems to persist in our sinful practices concerning race, making it such that we can't simply ignore that reality that it is ever-present. So let's just go to the other end of the spectrum then. Those in the anti-racism camp would say exactly Dr. Yancey, this is what we're saying. You look at healthcare, policing, hiring practices, racism is everywhere. It is the narrative of our Western culture, and it is the biggest problem, and it's a uh, inherited sin of our country. What would you say to those that fall into that camp? So this is what has been called anti-racism of late. For my, for my book, I read a lot of the yes. anti-racism texts that are out there. And, you know, they do see racism as pervasive, and they do see that we have to be very proactive in dealing with racism. And I'm not disagreeing with that. But the problem I find with anti-racism is, and you read the text, and I can come to no other conclusion than this, that for, for the anti-racist, the solution is for whites to do what people of color want them to do. Uh, and I think that's where it really gets off the rails. Because, first off, if you're a Christian, you don't believe that any group should always get its way because our propensity to do great harm. You know, us humans, we're not designed to get everything we want. That's not good. You know, like I said, I'm raising three boys. I would be doing them a disservice giving them everything they wanted. And so that's dangerous. And also that's very dehumanizing to whites. And that's not going to create the sort of relationship we're going to need to solve these problems. Research has shown now, the techniques used by anti-racists do not work. Just one example, diversity training. You know, some people talk about, hey, we got to train people, teach them the right way to think. Well, what we know is diversity training can only have a short-term effect. It has no long-term effect on, on prejudice. We also know that diversity training can create a backlash against people of color so that the whites actually feel less warm to people of color after being diversity trained. There are other problems with diversity training. In fact, I don't know of any reasonable researcher who argues that diversity training works. Uh, there may be uh, certain cases, anomalies where they work, and there are certain propensities that you could do to make them more successful. But by and large, diversity training has not been very successful. Well, you know, what's really interesting is that we now, anti-racism has been a thing 
I would say strongly popularized since the George Floyd, um, the horrific events surrounding George Floyd, but it's been a thing long enough now for research to be done, for evaluation to take place. And it's interesting the outlets that initially supported anti-racism as the framework for addressing the racial problems within the U.S. that now have turned to page. I'm talking about places like NPR, who uh, recently uh, wrote a report rethinking, titled Rethinking Anti-Racism in Our Quest to Fight Systematic Racism. Or I'm looking at uh, Washington Post. They had a, an article not too long ago simply entitled, Not All Anti-Racist Ideas Are Good Ones. That is uh, interesting. Or The Atlantic, they had a headline recently that says anti-racist arguments are tearing people apart. So now you have these outlets that once were proponents that are now saying, let's pump the brakes. There are some flaws and some problems here. Is that surprising to you? Not really. You know, when 2020 came and there was all this momentum for anti-racism, I suspected that that momentum would not last and that you would eventually get some pushback. And and you did. In fact, the very next year you got pushed back with a lot of protests at school board meetings and such. Uh, But there has been some steam uh, that has gone out of anti-racism. Some of it has been some of the corruption in some of the organizations, but some of it is just that people... I think, see, it doesn't really work and are, and are kind of tired of it. So if colorblindness doesn't work and anti-racism doesn't work, what does? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's exactly why Dr. George Yancey has written a book, Beyond Racial Division, a unifying alternative to colorblindness and anti-racism. I want you to get your copy. Find out more at equipradio.org. We're going to talk about it next up on Equip with Chris Brooks. Do you long for joy that supersedes your circumstances? Did you know that some of the most joyful people have endured unbelievable trauma? Because living joyfully is all about the habits we create in our daily lives. That's why I want to sing you the four habits of joy-filled people by Dr. Marcus Warner and Chris Corsi. They combine spiritual truth with proven brain science to guide us into joyful living. This life-changing book can be yours with a gift of any amount to equip. Simply call 888-644-4144 or visit EquipRadio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks, having a fascinating conversation with Dr. George Yancey. There are a few people who I respect more on the topic of race and its intersection with faith uh, and uh, how we should be living out our convictions as Christians than Dr. George Yancey. His ideas have been captured in several books, but today we're featuring Beyond Racial Division. It's a unifying alternative colorblindness and anti-racism. Well, I don't think it's ever a good service to people, Dr. Yancey, to only talk about what's wrong. Any armchair quarterback can do that. Anyone who uh, wants to simply critique but not offer solutions, I think ultimately is unhelpful. What I appreciate about your book is you don't simply say what's wrong. You don't simply 
uh, deconstruct, if you will, anti-racism or criticize colorblindness. But you say there is a new path. There is a third way, if you will. So what is the third way? What is mutual accountability? Mutual accountability, one way to just think about it is how do we have better conversations with each other? And what I mean by mutual accountability, what I focus in on is that we all have a responsibility to have better conversations. There's, there's no, well, white's supposed to do this and black's supposed to do that. We all are responsible for having better conversations. Our solutions may not be mutual. We may have solutions where we expect one group to do something different than the other. When it comes to opening up the framework, then we can have a more productive conversation everyone has to contribute. And so in the book, I talk about, you know, what that would look like to some degree and what we need to think about. For example, to have better conversations, we have to learn how to engage in active listening. Active listening is when we listen for comprehension and not not just for debate. So – if I am talking with my kid and, and uh, I'm, I'm engaging him to be, try to figure out why is he hitting his brother, now sometimes I, you know, sometimes I just have to send him to find out. But, <laughs> but if I'm really trying to figure out, uh, you know, I want to hear what he has to say, and then I want to put in my own words what he just said. But That's I understand really why he's doing what he's doing. Uh, so we know how to do this in our everyday relationships if we're, if we're good communicators. We don't carry this over into, our, into a race relations. And yes. so that's a big part of the problem is that we know we know we need we know that we can't just shut people up in our everyday conversations and, and maintain a relationship. But we kind of think we can do that when it comes to race relations, and, and and that's the sad part about it. You know, it's interesting that you talk about how everybody uh, should be a part of this conversation, because I think that where colorblindness often goes wrong, maybe even unintentionally, is to not want to hear from minorities. And in particular, Mm -hmm. minorities who are saying, no, 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 there is a problem here, right? That there are disparities in employment practices, in policing, in healthcare, in housing. Uh, So often those voices are considered to be critical in nature, and therefore we don't want to hear it. And part of my concern with the anti-woke legislation that has swept across many states is that it goes so far that you can end up silencing uh, voices that need to be heard and can be helpful in fixing the problem. On the other end of the spectrum is anti-racism that says, no, we'll listen to minorities, in particular those who are lamenting, we just won't listen to whites and anything they have to say. And so... You have uh, white voices that are totally canceled out that, again, could be very helpful to the conversation. And so between these battles against anti-wokeness and anti-racism, we're not mutually coming to the table with common goal of, uh, of, of reconciliation, common goal of human or community flourishing. And so, therefore, it seems to me, Dr. Yancey, we're missing out. Yeah. Here's what's interesting. What does colorblindness and anti-racism have in common? And what I would argue is what they both have in common is that they are so convinced they have the right answers, they're not willing to listen to other answers. Uh, Their answers are quite different, obviously, but they both are so convinced that they have the right answers, so they're not willing to listen to other answers. And when you asked me earlier, 
who this book is for is for people who are not certain that they have all the right answers because we get better answers by listening to each other. We get better answers by talking to each other. Yeah. And I, I run into resistance on both sides. I mean, I, I'm called woke. I'm called uh, white adjacent, you know, probably been called yeah. racist. You know, I've been called it all. You know, as you get older, you care less about that sort of stuff. Uh, because I'm willing to say, look, you know, you may not have all the right answers. And mm. there may be better answers that you could find if you're willing to listen and communicate with others. And collaborative conversation is about building on each other's answers to find better answers. It's not about you get, have to capitulate to other people. And when, we, when people get tired of the conversation, what I hear some of my white friends say is, I'm tired of a conversation where I go and I just get berated. I'm not allowed to talk. And you know yes. what? I say, you know what? You're right. There are conversations that are like that, and you should not have to subject yourself to that. You, have to, you get to have a place at the table, but you have to make a place at the table for people who don't agree with you that, the, that, that we can be colorblind. You have to yes. listen to them out. Yes. And I'll just say this. Uh, you know, a few days ago I was at a conference, and this African-American woman, you know, she was honest. She said, when I first heard you, I said, oh, no, another black man who has, you know, not going to speak up for anti-racism. But then she said that she realized that, uh, that there was truth in what I was saying and that if you want to reach people who are uh, – who, who do not believe that institutional racism exists, you don't do that by shutting them out. You do that by talking to them and listening to them and listening to their concerns. And then you will earn the right to have an audience uh, more times out than not. You know, this is so biblical to me. I mean, as I think through so many uh, examples of this throughout the New Testament, in particular, Acts chapter 6 stands out to me as a prominent example of this mutual accountability, there, there is an underpinning of theological framework that's here that I don't want people to miss. In other words, I don't want you to think that Dr. Yancey is talking in a vacuum devoid of the gospel. I want you to understand that our brother, in every project that I have read of yours, in every project that I've seen of yours, in every presentation— comes to these uh, conversations well-informed empirically with the uh, sociological evidence, but always uh, informed by your faith in Jesus Christ and, and, and uh, with, with a vision that is centered upon the gospel. And the fact that you are a sociologist means that you're going to come to these moments with data. That part of your brain is never cut off. But the fact that you are also someone who adheres to the teaching of Scripture means that you're holding simultaneously with all the empirical evidence uh, a theological framework that can help you to be able to navigate this in almost an interdisciplinary way that is very helpful. Is that a good way of describing it, Dr. Yancey? Thank you for that description. I think that's that's a pretty fair way uh, of looking at it. You know, I have to say that I am a Christian and I am an academic, and I believe that truth is truth, and uh, you know, and that good science and good theology should go together. And when they don't, either you have yeah. bad science or bad theology or both. And yeah. so what I what I what I see in the science, I should also see in the values. If it's good science, there's a lot of, there's a lot of bad science out there that I don't feel like the need to to sure. line it up with, with the biblical values. But I think good science will line up with biblical values, and I think that happens with here. 
that that's happening here. I think that the biblical values uh, would would lead us towards the collaborative conversation type of solution. You know, and I think that what happens in these conversations is that if if color blindness wins the day, then what I'm basically being told is to ignore good science. Now, again, I acknowledge along with you, there's a lot of bad scientists, sciences out there, and we should critique all research. If it comes to us, you don't have to blindly accept it. You can critique it. But what I'm being asked to do under the colorblindness framework is to ignore good science. What I'm being asked to do up under the anti-racism framework is to ignore good theology and to presuppose that God himself is okay with the racial gridlock or that God himself is as vindictive as um, conflict theory would lead us to believe, and neither one is reconcilable uh, to me. Let's, Let's just talk real quickly about what your hope is for those who would embrace mutual accountability. My hope is that, uh, starting in the church, but moving out to the rest of society, that we will uh, push this sort of framework. I think that as more people are dissatisfied with both of those approaches and are open to this, 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 this third option, that we can grow and influence and begin to uh, influence individuals to look towards having a cloud conversation rather than just arguing with each other. And that would become the new norm. Much as 50, 100 years ago, the norm was to, to think of blacks as biologically inferior to whites. Praise God, that's not the norm today. Uh, so I hope that, like I said, I'm doing this for my, for my boys, that when they are in, you know, as old as I am, that we've created a society where the norm is that when there's a racial problem, we learn how to work together because we have the tools to do so because we've, we've been doing that. And, and that's what my vision would be. Yeah, that's so good. Listen, we're going to take a break. It has been such a joy having George Yancey. He's going to stick around with us for one more segment. But these breaks are strategically designed to give you opportunity to purchase your copy of the book and to find out more about our guests and resources. You could do so by going to our website, equipradio.org. Now, while you're there, I'm going to ask a huge favor, and that is that you would consider supporting us with a tax-deductible, generous year-end gift. We are fastly approaching the end of the year, and it's been an incredible year. 2023 has been fraught with challenges and controversies, issues, and uh, overwhelming uh, difficulties. But yet through it all, Equips has been here to shine a gospel light of hopefulness, pointing people to Jesus Christ. Please support the program at EquipRadio.org. We'll be right back. Here on Equip, it's our goal to help listeners like you to understand and apply biblical truth to the issues we encounter in our culture, our community, and our homes. But we need your help. Will you join our family of equippers by making an ongoing monthly donation to Equip? When you do, you'll have exclusive access to regular encouragement from me, as well as our Equipper webinars and other special offers. Become an Equipper today. Call 888-644-4144 or visit EquipRadio.org. 
You know, I've heard that for every one person that sends a gift to support Equip, there are probably 10 others that don't. But I can tell you this, we deeply appreciate every single one of you who support this program. Your impact is huge. Maybe it's been a long time since you've contacted Equip, or maybe you've never responded. Isn't it time to call? Here's the number, 888-644-4144 or EquipRadio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. So grateful to be joined today by Dr. George Yancey as we talk about his book, Beyond Racial... It's a great volume that I would encourage you to get a copy of and uh, maybe even to read through as a leadership team for your local church uh, or in your small group so that we can all be a part of the solution. Dr. Yancey, you have an entire chapter on the theological basis of mutual accountability. And uh, while I don't want to put the pressure on you to have to be a theologian, I am super grateful that your work uh, is wrapped in both empirical data and theology. So talk about that chapter. I think that the really key, there's, I think there's two key elements of our Christian uh and, and I wanted to fo- focus in on something that was central to our faith, not something that we argue over. And for me, one, one of the central points of our faith is the notion of human depravity, the notion that we are fallen creatures. Because if we're not fallen creatures, we don't need Christ. If I can do it by myself, then I don't need Christ. But I can't. I'm a fallen creature, and so is everyone else. One of the implications of that is if we're fallen creatures, when we get power, we will tend to misuse it. We will tend to exploit it. And that's true for any racial group. So how do we try to curb that tendency? And I believe the best way on this side of heaven is to be in interaction with each other in an honest, collaborative way so that my blind spots, I, I will probably craft a, a solution to a problem that, that fits me and my people very well. But I'll have blind spots as to how I may punish others. I need to hear from them, and they need to hear from me. And so for me, I, I think that the commonality between anti-racism and, and uh, colorblindness in that the confidence they have that they are correct and they don't have to learn from others is the very problem that, uh, that they don't fully understand human depravity and how it impacts them as well. Now, along with that, I also think that there is a component in our Christian belief system that we think of others as much or better, as, as being as good or better than ourselves, that we take their needs into consideration. That, too, feeds into this sort of conversation, because I want to find a solution that, that meets the needs of other people as well as my own. And, you know, that's a, that's a good biblical principle, but I also think it's a good principle in general. Once again, I think good theology and good science goes along in that when people feel like they have had no say in the solution, all they're going to do is sabotage you. They have, they have no interest in making the solution work. If I can bring you or whoever I'm down with, dialoguing with along so that we are working on the solution together that we have crafted, then you're going to work with me instead of against me. So thinking about your needs is not only, I think, a good biblical thing to do, but it's also a good practical thing to do if we want to find lasting, sustainable solutions. 
I could not agree with you more. And in many ways, I think about our uh, beginning question, who is this written for? We asked that in the first segment, Dr. Yancey, and you described this middle group, if you will, uh, those who are um, somewhat frustrated and maybe even exhausted with the shortcomings of colorblind frame, uh, colorblindness as a framework or anti-racism as a framework. And I feel like in many ways I fall into that group, that group that this book was written for. And I will just tell you that for me and many of my friends and colleagues, uh, your, your writing is like giving lyrics to a song that's, uh, whose tune has been playing in our heads, if you will, uh, and, and again, this is what I see playing out in Scripture. As a pastor, theologian, I, I'm, I'm looking at Scripture and saying, what do I see as a framework in Scripture? I reference Acts chapter 6. It becomes very informative to me, verses 1 through 7, of a community in the early church in which there is ethnic tension. There seems to be a disparity in the distribution of resources based off of both uh, ethnicity and class. Uh, there, there's some power structure dynamics, but how did they go about so- solving that? Well, they created mutual accountability um, uh-huh. between the Hebraic leadership of the community and the Grecian leadership of the community. And, and there we have mutual accountability played out. But the underpinnings of that is exactly what you just identify, and that is both total depravity, which is the one doctrine that even those who aren't Christians should be able to agree with us about. <laughs> so you're the right kids. We are all messed up. Anybody with kids, that's right. We all blow it. But I also think that this uh, second great commandment, to love my neighbor as myself, is played out in this book as well. So I say to you, bravo, well done, and I do hope that if not 7 billion people getting it, my hope is that the right people get it, those who are in in influence, and that those who do get it would use their voice to help to promote this third way, because I do believe it is a biblical way. God bless you, Dr. Yancey, and thanks for carving out the time uh, to be with us today. Thank you. God bless you for having me. Friends, I, I want to encourage you to uh, read uh, Beyond Racial Division. We covered a lot of ground with our conversation today, but yet there's so much nuance that still should be covered, and rightfully so. The issues are complex, but yet the answers that given to us in Scripture are still effective today. Until we're together again next time, as always, remember, Equip with Chris Brooks is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.